Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a minute and subscribe so you've always got the latest episode. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com, which features episodes of the show, along with written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links, including to our cause of the month, Tipitina's Foundation. This week's guest is trumpeter Matt Schulman. From his new album, here's the title track, So It Goes. My guest is trumpeter Matt Schulman. His new album is called So It Goes, and it features Matt along with a trio featuring Matt Cloacy and Jason Wildman. The album features primarily original composition with a couple standards thrown in, one of which leads to, I I think, a very hilarious sequencing moment that we can talk about later. But first, I want to welcome Matt to the show. Matt, thanks so much for being on the program. Oh, thanks for having me, Jason. So this, uh, this album has been receiving really rave reviews and you're a trumpet player who also sings and so almost every single one of those reviews invokes the name of chet baker but uh other than having one Mm. common tune in common on this record this is not very chet baker like as far as i can hear yeah i guess um the chet baker influence is uh somewhat more abstract than than just uh doing my funny valentine um i think chet baker took the sort of hipster music of his day the bebop that was happening and um, put his own spin on it by approaching it in a more romantic way and, and a desire to, to speak to people through singing directly through his, his voice and in addition to his trumpet. And I, I definitely feel like I, I share that, um, that vision with him. So I guess in that way, the, the Chet Baker references are, are pretty right on. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm of course not going to sound just like Chet Baker because I'm going to sound like Matt Shulman. And th- 
other than uh, that reference, it seems like stylistically this music is, uh, well, maybe in the same way as Chet took what was happening around him um, and kind of melded it with jazz. You seem to have done the same thing. There's a lot of looping on this record um, and a lot of things that, you know, most of us are more familiar with in pop music than in jazz. What what kind of stuff do you listen to kind of outside the jazz world that has inspired what you're doing now on this record? Yeah, I guess I, I listen to a lot of uh, alternative rock. I, I'm really fond of the band Radiohead. Uh, I also like the, the band Keen, and I guess those are both uh, British bands. And um, I've also been listening to a lot of Magnet. He's a, a great artist, a uh, Nordic artist. And, uh, yeah, you know, just some good singer-songwriter stuff, you know. Joni Mitchell stuff is good. Um, Bob Dylan, um, classical music, too. And, you know, I guess pretty much everything can make its way into my music. You wrote that uh, you started this album when you were in the middle of a, of a relationship and then kind of finished it after the relationship had ended. And I think you made a joke somewhere that I read, maybe it was in your bio, that uh, if you look at some of the lyrics on the record, it almost sounds like they were all written after the fact, that uh, you know some of them are pretty dark and, and brooding. Do you? Yeah, that's true. Have you been writing either poems or song lyrics for a long time? You know, that was kind of my first uh, recording of it. But I've uh, I've done some freestyling of lyrics for for many years. Um, I first started just playing the trumpet and then singing through the trumpet, doing multiphonics, uh, which we haven't really talked about yet. But I'm sure you'll you'll have a question about that. Most people do. Um, and then I started to just sing sounds and vocalize, uh, and eventually I started to, to make up lyrics on the spot and sort of freeform poetry. So that sort of led to. Uh, doing the, the lyrics that you heard on, on So It Goes. So are these lyrics that had evolved out of a kind of a freestyle thing and then eventually started doing the same ones over yeah, again? Yeah, some, some of them are like that, and, and uh, some others uh, I sat down and did a stream of consciousness and, and did the lyrics that way. Um, but since then, you know, for my next project, I'm kind of doing a little bit more shaping and reworking of lyrics. But yeah, for this past project, I kind of just let it be a more of a stream of consciousness thing and you know well this is what I'm hearing and just went with it you know You mentioned uh, the multiphonic, so let's mm. go there. Uh, it's 
a, a pretty cool sound. Um, can you talk about first how you how you produce the sound that people are hearing on this record? Yeah, um, the multiphonics are a sound that's produced by playing and singing at the same time, simultaneously. Um, you play a note on the trumpet, and typically the way I do it is I I'll play the note on the bottom and sing a note an octave or even two octaves above with my voice, and they mix and they can produce a third tone, an overtone, and uh, give you a triad. And that way you can approach music more like a chordal instrument, like a guitarist or a pianist does, and uh, accompany yourself and uh, superimpose harmony and have a a broader scope um, as an improvising musician and as a a composer as well. So it's been uh, exciting for me and... um, and liberating in a lot of ways, and even when I'm not doing multiphonics now, my uh, my trumpet playing is is much more informed from a sort of melody and accompaniment standpoint than it was before. It's much more uh, multidimensional. It seems like quite a feat to be able to think fast enough to not only be determining what pitch to play, but also what pitch to sing. Yeah, I don't. Maybe it is. Um, I guess it's something you. Uh, uh, you get into and you you start finding out the different note combinations and the uh, resultant tones and you sort of develop a, a rapport with it and after a while I started to to just hear it and it it becomes intuitive you know just like like anything that you you might work on with your instrument. When did you first start doing it? I started doing multiphonics soon after I moved to New York. I moved to New York in 1997, so maybe around 98 or so. You know, or, or early '99, uh, I was on tour with a band uh, in the Midwest, and the trombone player. It's you know, multiphonics are a lot more common with trombone players. Um, Albert Mangelsdorf, the somewhat obscure avant-garde German trombone player, definitely did a lot with multiphonics. And I guess by nature of the sound, it it can go, you know, possibly a little bit more cohesively with avant-garde music, but I tend to use it in, you know, some more crossover settings with, with more of my pop music elements. But yeah, anyway, back to um, to learning to do, do the multiphonics, I I learned from this trombone player, you know, and um, I think it's possibly more common with trombone because there's a little more room in the mouthpiece for both impulses, the voice and the, the buzzing vibration from the lips. Uh, it's a bigger mouthpiece, and also you can use your regular voice the trumpet, there's a little less room in there, so it's a, you know, a little bit more tricky negotiating the two impulses simultaneously. And then also there's uh, the the voice factor, and to get a, a really pure ringing sound, you uh, use your a high voice, falsetto voice, and uh, you know you got to have a good good ringing falsetto to to make that speak with the the octave that the trumpet is. In.
Will you talk about the two musicians who are on this recording with you? Yeah, well, Jason Wildman um, played drums, and he's been a great friend of mine for for a long time, since I moved to New York, and we played duo for a long time also. Uh, so I think we really, really formed a great rapport by, by playing duet for a long time. And unfortunately, he's, he's not really playing right now, but um, we, we had a great run. I'm really glad that we documented the... Uh, relationship that we have musically with this uh this cd so that's a good thing and then there's uh matt closey on bass and um, i haven't known matt as long but uh, we definitely have a good rapport as well and he's a great up-and-comer on the instrument and he's been doing a lot of great gigs he's from australia and he moved here i think it was about maybe four or five years ago we started playing together and yeah it's a good good fit and a good sound yeah it's it's not just a a band that was thrown together, um, some long relationships that, that led to a, a really cohesive sound, you know? Who's in the band that you regularly work with now? It's still Matt Closey on bass uh, for most of my gigs, and um, Pete Retzloff has been playing drums. I'm actually thinking about adding guitar as well, but I, I haven't, haven't gone that route yet. You uh, mentioned that you had listened to, or mentioned in your bio, I should say, that you had listened to a lot. your father play a lot of solo violin repertoire when you were a kid. Yeah. Was your dad a professional musician? Yeah. My dad uh, went to uh, City College here in New York for music and then uh, to Yale for grad school for violin. Then he went and did the uh, New Orleans Philharmonic for a while, and then he got a teaching gig up at a, a university in Vermont. And that's where he met my mom, and I was raised there in Vermont. Um, so, yeah, he was a music professor. And since then, he's taken early retirement to just play chamber music up there with his friends. So it's a pretty nice life for him, you know? But yeah, it was, it was definitely a great thing growing up uh, in a musical household and, and having that, that sort of input from uh, my father and my mother as well. She's a, a piano teacher. So. When did you first start getting serious about the trumpet? I think um, I started getting serious in high school. No, not long after I started playing the instrument, really, because I, I started playing when I was about 12 or so. You know, before that, there was, you know, some, you know, minor insistence from uh, from my parents to play a musical instruments. So I started on violin and piano, which were their instruments, and didn't really take to those. Uh, then there was a, a baritone horn in the house, um, you know, because of the music instruction that um, both my parents were involved in. I guess it just ended up in the house somehow. So um, I started playing that a little bit, and it's sort of, you know, the larger tuba-like cousin of the trumpet, and um, it led to playing the trumpet for me. And I guess when I picked up the trumpet, uh, a lot just sort of seemed to click. I think there's a personality trait that can go with the trumpet, sort of strident tone, and things just sort of clicked, and yeah. So it's been a big part of my life since then. So, and you did your undergrad mm-hmm. at at Oberlin, right in Ohio? That's right. Yeah, um, ninety two through ninety six was there. And was that a a good experience for a jazz trumpeter? Was there was yeah, there chances to perform? Yeah, Oberlin's Oberlin's a great school. Great, great school. Um, you know, a really, really rich uh, classical tradition there in the conservatory and. Um, Definitely a lot to glean from that 
department and the jazz department is is very uh familial you know it's it's small enough so you can get individual attention and the way the program is is structured by the chair Wendell Logan is it's really about improvisation and creativity and uh you know the essence factors that are involved in jazz and uh you know I'm I'm really thankful to have gone through that program sometimes I see that um jazz can be reduced to a you know a series of graphs and, and charts and scales and things like that on a chalkboard and um I think Oldman really uh keeps the, the heart in there, which is you know, really important. And then it was on to grad school at NYU and you got there from a, a fellowship. Will you talk about how you got that fellowship? Actually it didn't really go on for that long because I think the uh the funder, Alberto Villar, had to move on with his funding and, and go on to some other projects. But I got in just in time and, you know, got a, got to take advantage of that program. Um, it, was, it was kind of, you know, supposed to be a big deal. They call it the, the Rhodes Scholarship of the Performing Arts and got a lot of publicity and the people who got in uh, got written up in the New York Times. And, you know, it was, it was a great thing to be a part of. Um, they acquired a selection committee from you know, internationally from all, all parts of the world and all different disciplines, which I think is uh, is interesting. So I wasn't just auditioning for uh, a selection committee comprised of trumpet players or jazz musicians. Um, there was a jazz musician there, you know. Um, I believe there was Harold Mayburn and, and Skitch Henderson, who ran the New York Pops Orchestra. Um, but there was also the head of the Alvin Ailey Dance Company and Mark Morris Dance Company, and then there's playwrights and people who, you know, work with film and uh, technology and, you know, all the different disciplines. They're all represented there. So I think that's a, that's a great way to sort of go across the board and find out what is the, the common denominator in your art and is it really speaking to people on a fundamental level. Uh, so I was happy to be a part of that process. And actually it led to, you know, I mentioned Skitch Henderson, um, he really enjoyed my playing and invited me to make my Carnegie Hall debut. Uh, so I played the main stage of the Isaac Stern Hall, and I soloed uh, with the New York Pops Orchestra. I played uh, a great ballad, Stardust, and then uh, another old standard, which I wasn't familiar with, um, called Saina Saina, and I think that was a uh, popular song back in the well, back in the day, <laughs> you know, <and laughs> back in like, Skitch's okay. day. That's yeah, right. back in the day, I was like, "Well, all right, Santa, Santa, you say so." And, <laughs> you, know, you know what? He knew his audience. People liked it. Stardust was was definitely an amazing experience to play that with a full orchestra, and, you know, in Carnegie Hall out front. And, you know, it was a sold out crowd, and you could hear a pin drop, and so that was a, a great, great experience for me. Well, speaking of standards, uh, there's a couple on. Your new record, So It Goes, My Funny Valentine, which we already talked about. And then I said at the, at the top, there's a just a, a wonderful bit of sequencing on this record, which is from your track, Zeppelin, which is uh, you know, right. not, not about blimps, but about the band and sounds very much like the band, into um, maybe the most kind of straight-ahead track on the record, which is a, a really nice uh, rendition yeah. of It Could Happen to You. Mm-hmm. And for me, that moment, like the moment of Zeppelin's ending and It Could Happen to You's beginning, uh, almost encapsulates just the, the really impressive breadth of this record. And I wonder why you chose to include something like It Could Happen to You on this album. Mm-hmm. 
That's really great that you heard it like that and that you picked that up. Um, you're the, besides the record label, <laughs> who, uh, you know, picked up the record and, and really dug the record and really got inside the music, you're the first person to pick up on that, and I think that this is a lot, and that's really cool, because that, uh, that was a definite conscious programming choice of mine, and um, I was hoping that people would hear it that way. So, yeah, definitely, I'm, I'm agreeing with you on that. Um, I guess playing uh, It Could Happen to You is just something that I was doing a lot at the time. Um, you know, I still play usually at least one standard each set. Um, these days they're more ballads. Um, I'm getting more into the love song thing, you know. Um, even though It Could Happen to You is, is also. Um, but, you know, it's I'm not singing lyrics on it. And it's a little bit more up-tempo and more of a vehicle, if you will, um, the way I do it on the record. But, uh, yeah, I, I like to do standards like that as sort of a foil sometimes after, uh, you know, the frenetic energy that can happen in a song like Zeppelin. We really, really stretch out on Zeppelin, and the energy gets very intense. And um, sometimes, you know, I've done some touring and recording with Kenny Werner, and so we've, we've hung out a little bit, and he says, you know, sometimes it's nice to uh, come in and have some hot cocoa after you've been outside you know, working in the snow, <laughs> you know, and it's, <laughs> and it's kind of like that, you know, this little um, yin-yang and, you know, some contrast, and um, it's a little honey break after, uh, you know, going out there and having some really spicy food or something, you know. I like it. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of crowds are coming to your shows? Are they as diverse as the music? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, there's definitely the, you know, the jazz uh, aficionado crowd that's, um, heard some of my work with Kenny Werner, for example, and um, is just interested in another jazz voice on the scene. And then there's uh, there's more of a a younger, more open-minded crowd that um, is possibly more into the, my uh, more pop music elements um, and maybe the sort of jam band elements that my band has also. So yeah, I'd say there's there's a pretty wide range there. The album is called So It Goes. The trumpeter is Matt Schulman. And uh, Matt, wish the best for you, and thank you very much for being on the jazz session. Thanks, Jason. It was great talking with you.
That's trumpeter Matt Schulman from his new album, So It Goes. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. If you subscribe, which, as I mentioned, is free, you'll always have the latest episode on your computer or in your MP3 player whenever you want it. You can always listen to the show at thejazzsession.com, which features an archive, along with written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links. The site also features a link to the Jazz Session Cause of the Month. This month, it's Tipitina's Foundation. Please click the link and give them some of your money. Thanks. For more interviews and reviews, you can visit allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. You'll find my writing there, beside that of many other jazz experts and fans. You can contact me via email at jason at thejazzsession.com or call the show at 585-473-5304. The Jazz Session mailing list is available at thejazzsession.com. When you join, you'll get periodic updates about the guests who appear on the show, plus some other news from my world. The theme music for The Jazz Session is by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Session logo. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye!